What is crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am, oh, fellow thermonuclear AFers, I apologize. What is up? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. We have a segment-oriented podcast. We're just going to go through a bunch of random questions, fact or fiction, start bench cuts. Um, we thought that'd be a good exercise since I wasn't up on top of soliciting the mailbag questions this week. And we don't have as many as we would need to put out what I think is a, a good enough episode. So we'll get to that eventually uh, to beef those up. But first, please remember to subscribe to us. If you're on YouTube watching, hit that sub button, hit like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, the whole nine. If you've done both those things, cross sub. And if you've also done that, please get the word out there about us. Shout us out on Twitter. Tell people who you know are looking for basketball podcasts about Hardwood Knox and how great, how thoroughly, mediocrely, middlingly great it is over here. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. A lot of great discussions happening in there every day, so hop in. Finally, follow us on all the socials. Those are on screen if you're on YouTube or they're in the podcast description. At Hardwood Knox on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. At Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Whew. Grant, how the heck are you doing since we last spoke, which was when listeners hear this, it might be a day or two, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was even longer than that for us. It was like five minutes. Give or take. Yeah. I mean, a lot's changed. Uh, the sun's got bought. Uh, so that was big. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel, I feel similarly enthused and, and just to, just to buttress your point about discord, just a lot of great discussions and only like 85% of it is what the nuggets should try to get for Michael Porter. Jr. So there's a lot of variety that I, that's probably its best feature. This is not on the agenda, but it was breaking while we were doing our all-star podcast, $4 billion for the Suns. I'm just happy Robert Sarver is going to be out of there. His punishment is just getting even filthier rich. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully he'll be able to cope with that. Uh, we're 4 billion, like forget, you know, the ties to, to Michigan. And I don't want to mispronounce his name, but we're doing this off the cut. I think it's Matt Ishbaya, um, the primary purchaser uh, name being here. They expect it to be approved. Poor road is considered a formality. Uh, $4 billion, right? where you expected higher, lower than you thought? I think that was the, you know, I think I'd seen maybe four and a half, but like if it were lower than four, that would have been the surprise because it just seemed like if you're selling an NBA team in any kind of decent market, that's about where it is now. And and Phoenix is like sneakily, a lot of players want to live there. It's close enough to LA that you use a short, short flight. Like seems about right. You know, it's not my money. So that's <laughs> 4 million seems great. Yeah, I'm like. I'm just curious, and I'm not sure if it's... I just want to know, like, what would the Warriors or the Lakers or the Knicks go for at this moment if they were up? Is this just an issue of we're not scaling? We're scaling too far enough, like, ahead and saying, oh, well, if the Suns went for four, the Warriors would go for eight, and maybe it's just really closer than we think? Or would that be, like, if just one of those teams was for sale, that would just be mind-meltingly expensive, or the number would come back and just smack us right in the face? I'm just... I'm curious. Yeah, I'd have said seven or eight. I think that's that's right about it for the for those three specifically. I don't know you get anywhere close to that for anybody else. Maybe Miami. I don't know. I'm wondering how quickly it's approved because I had also wondered if this was holding up the Suns doing actual business. Like Robert Sarver is technically not involved with the team, but would that have impinged their their spending at all at the trade deadline, ability to take on longer term money? And so I'm curious if having this clarity doesn't mean Jay Crowder is going to be traded in five minutes, but if the approval is expected to come through very quickly. Is there just a scenario where, okay, now the Suns are maybe more aggressive in planning like ahead for their future or even just more aggressive at the trade deadline? I don't mean to tie this back into trades. I was just, Jay Crowder's not with the team, doesn't want to be with the team, and he's just still on the roster. Yeah, 
I mean, it can't hurt and that on that front. The other thing is that I think Baxter Holmes uh, on Monday this week had a report about there's like 15 high level executives that are that's you know at some some yeah. some level of responsibility for the shittiness that went on in Phoenix, you know, is attached to them and they're just still employed. So I think you know with that story dropping, getting the sale news out now and getting the sale done, I think is. Is a, is a positive on that front too. Cause I assume there's going to be some house cleaning or further house cleaning than there already was. I might even think it, we could go as far as calling it a purge. If it's as many as 15, maybe. Yeah. So more lighthearted segue here. We just have a bunch of stuff that we wanted to get through, but I have to ask you the first one as we're getting in, in the season, this came from cyborgian on discord. What's the most overrated holiday beverage and i'll you can even i didn't put food in there but what's like the most overrated edible drinkable holiday thing well just the first thing that comes to my this isn't even a christmas thing a holiday thing just the just the turkey like we don't need a turkey i think we i think we need to think outside the box i think christmas is more of a ham situation which i'm which i have better feelings about than a turkey it's never the star right? Like it's just always sort of there. You can do a decent Turkey, but even a decent Turkey is pretty low on the list of like quality main dishes. If you're just going to have like some kind of animal in there, I would do anything with like a, give me some pork, give me some, like some kind of cut of steak. You know, there's so many better ways to go than, than just a Turkey. Uh, I would prefer to have tofu over ham. So that's a <laughs> monster. The, um, do, I want the drink question is good. Do you have a drink? I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Cause I, I have some thoughts. I'm just going to assume that Anything pumpkin flavor is ineligible for this because pumpkin is absolutely trash. And anyone who who likes it, I question uh, your morals as a human being. But like this, the peppermint flavored shit, and it's maybe it's because I don't like candy canes, which are just like these really pointy, long ass breath mints or whatever they're supposed to be. These peppermint flavored beverages that come out, I've even seen like peppermint eggnog, and eggnog's probably overrated in and of itself. But these like peppermint frothy beverages, Starbucks will come out with them. Just no, and peppermint is no. It's just I, like if I want, like I'd rather just chew on like a Mentos or something. Like I don't need fucking peppermint in anything that I'm that I'm drinking or eating. I don't need to see like these peppermint cookies. No, like or these peppermint like. I like I guess I've never seen peppermint cakes or pies, but like they're peppermint flavored. There's definitely peppermint cupcakes. Absolutely not. I've never even tried them. And I can tell you that they're overrated as shit or just awful as, as anything. Okay. So first of all, we're going to have some serious disagreements now that we're talking. We just, we had no, absolutely no arguments over all stars, but now that we're talking about something important, we're going to have to really like, you know, we're going to be ourselves. We're not going to just yes and each other. So uh, your peppermint take is incorrect uh, peppermint <laughs> by itself. It, nobody likes peppermint by itself. Just a peppermint candy cane is in fact garbage, but peppermint as a bark or when crumbled up in conjunction with chocolate, particularly I've had how many several over the last couple of days, these little, these peppermint pretzel, chocolate covered pretzel, peppermint sticks. Excellent. You need to crumb. The peppermint needs to be crunched up. They That's sound like ass. They, no, they're great. They're great. Peppermint and chocolate, like a peppermint bark. Oh man. Excellent. So this, but that goes into the drink thing. Peppermint drinks are tricky. If, if you're talking about like a hot chocolate with, with peppermint in it, like a peppermint schnapps in their mix, that's fine. I feel like this question is really trying to get us to, to badmouth eggnog. And I'm not going to do it because eggnog's fine. It's like just kind of like a weird milkshake, basically, with some like spices in it. Are you aware of a drink called hot buttered rum? 
and and follow up do i even need to go further than the name to just make your stomach turn so is it anything like butter beer from harry potter because i've had that at universal and that's actually delicious whether it's hot or cold well i'm sure that's just like a bunch of sugar syrup shot into to something this there's so, some butterscotch flavor in there <laughs> here's, here's the two the first two ingredients in hot buttered rum are rum and melted butter i'm out immediately don't need to know anything else that's disgusting butter and that alcohol, just horrible um it's like you you've lost me with the first two ingredients i have never had hot buttered rum i never will that sounds atrocious that's not something a person should be consuming and in my research for this i learned it goes back to colonial times there are a lot of things from colonial times that we should abandon and i think hot buttered rum is probably number one so get out of here the other thing we should probably abandon is leaving out milk for Santa that's not being chilled actively. Like, can you put it in an ice bucket or something? You're trying to poison Santa Claus with just curdled, sour, warm, like tepid room temperature milk that's been sitting out for however many hours. Also irresponsible because warm milk is supposed to make you fall asleep. And this guy is supposed to be flying around and landing on roofs. And that's, you know, distracted driving. We don't need that. He's got he's got work to do. I'm tired of tradition taking precedence over the well-being of Santa Claus. That's really just my the hill that I'm prepared to die on. Yeah, I'm with you. Next up, this is a little bit more basketball related, um, apparently. But fact or fiction, the Celtics start to the season was overrated. And we say this as they have the worst offense in the league over their last five games. Their defense has ticked up during that time. But they went from having this historically great offense to now they've been dead last over the past five games. What are your what are just your thoughts on where the Celtics are at right now? I mean, overrated is the word I'm hung up on. I mean, like we should. So unless, I, I guess if you expected the Celtics to basically set the record for offensive efficiency and then have everyone on in the entire organization, like down to like the equipment managers shooting 43 percent from three. Like, yeah, I guess this is like disappointing and we overrated them, but like. And the numbers are, are rough. It's not just the last five. Just if you filter starting December 1st, they're last in offense. They're last in rim frequency. Like they don't get to the basket at all anymore. Um, they're just not making threes at all. They're 28th in three-point accuracy in that stretch. Uh, but like even now, so yeah, sure. They, they are not going to be the best offense in the league. I do think we should note that they're the third best defense since December 1st. And that's kind of more in they're line. They're up to with seventh what, overall too, I think, or something. That, that, so that's more what we expected. I think, so I don't think the Celtics are broken. I think some of the issues they're having like existed last year and they kind of got over them. The stagnation, the turnovers, the that, that stuff, the shooting will, will revert. It's just like the sample is small enough still where, I do put some value in the incredibly hot start. I do put some stock in this rough stretch, but like, I mean, are they not going to be a top 10 offense at the end of the year? Maybe, but like, they're not going to be, they're, they're not going to be terrible. And their defense might be the best in the league by that time. So not, not too concerned. Bucks or Celtics. Uh, give me the bucks. They were my preseason East representative. So I think I'll just stick with that. It, if you have Giannis and he's healthy, you're going to have to do a lot of work to kind of talk me off of that. So I, but there might, there is something that sometimes feels broken about their half court offense. Maybe it's just Chris Middleton hasn't played enough this season, but they're averaging 0.72 points per isolation possession this season. So that worries me, but I'm with you. The Celtics weren't overrated. I am starting to read. I mean, the bucks are my pick to come out of the East. So I'm not really rethinking anything, but it's just, was this sort of a rush to coronate as the Celtics is the closest thing to a championship inevitable that this season had. Yeah. 
it, it's it's I know I know these are supposed to be quick, but it's just a signal of like we got to chill out with the, you know, five and 10 game stretches defining the season. Like the Pelicans are the greatest team on earth. And then they kind of struggle a little bit. And then now we're not so sure. And, you know, the Celtics are the greatest offense ever. And then they have some off nights and it just, you know, apply that all across the league, like trust your priors, trust your preseason predictions and, and thoughts even more still now that we're a third of the way into the season than what's happened in the last like couple of weeks. Leading into Christmas day games. I thought it'd be fun to do this one. Start bench cut. Giannis, Jokic, and Bede. Brutal. Uh, I'm starting Giannis. Uh, I think he's the best player in the world. I have I have no notes, just as we've said all year. I have no notes for Giannis or the Bucks. Uh, I'm gonna bench Jokic and I'm gonna cut Embiid. Uh, that's real tough, but Jokic has won two MVPs in a row. Embiid's finished second. Uh, that's gonna do it for me. I would cut Giannis. I would start Jokic. Uh, I, I would start Giannis. I would uh, bench Jokic and I would cut Embiid. I just as I know that Sixers fans are probably tired of hearing the durability argument there, especially from Jokic stands. But like that, even if you think Embiid is the more dominant player of the two, I want the guaranteed like seventy plus games of Jokic every season. Yeah, even if it was and and make a conference finals. How about Sixers? I mean, even if even if the Nuggets one was iffy and bubbly, uh, still that's that's a thing. I want to throw the next one to you because uh, I feel like this is just a. Could we have a more tailor made question for for the two of us? Uh, who'd you rather have for the rest of their career, RJ Barrett or Jordan Poole? So for the rest of their career, not what's happened where we've seen Jordan Poole like come up big in some pretty high leverage moments. I'd rather have RJ Barrett. And I know I flip-flopped a lot on him. He feels more plug and play. And I know Jordan Poole, there's this school of thought that when he's starting, I mean, his numbers have just been better when he's starting, but like you don't necessarily need that from him when Steph is there. And I keep going back to this, the Warriors have never had, and forget about his rookie season, and you can even throw out most of the sophomore season. I know he spent a good amount of time in the G League there. They've just never had an above-average offense when he plays without Steph on the court. And I think that this season, he's been objectively bad. There have been some highs, including that game against the Toronto Raptors where they didn't have Steph. But there's just like, I still think he's an underrated finisher, can be a better passer, but the turnovers have been weird at points. This season, and I'm not just looking at this season alone. I, I look at R.J. Barrett, wing-sized, uh, started off the season terrible defensively, probably gotten a little bit better there. We're starting to see the shooting normalize from the perimeter. He's very much more plug-and-play. And so my issue here is, not my issue, but I look at this as these are two non-stars. I don't think R.J. Barrett's going to be an all-NBA-type player, all-NBA-type building block. And I think people believe the jury is still out on that for Jordan Poole. I do not. And when he is such a zero for you defensively, to where you have to think, can I close games with him, especially when Steph is going to be on the floor, and especially, well, what does Clay Thompson look like on that night? Could depend on that, too. That's just too many mental hurdles to get over to then invest in someone as a core part of your team, where, yes, we may need to, you know, if everything pans out, does Jordan Poole have the higher ceiling? Maybe just because of the way that perimeter shot creation works and as a primary playmaker. I still think there's another level for Barrett to get to as a passer um, if the Knicks play him in smarter lineups or eventually get rid of Randall and sort of open up the share of the offense and open up just the half court in general. And we've seen them do a better job of opening up the half court. Just, I think RJ Barrett's role has room for improvement more, but overall, when we're looking at these two level of players, for the rest of their career, I want someone who I think I can plug in somewhere and know that they're going to make a net, net positive impact. That's RJ Barrett over Jordan Poole for me. So I'm taking pool. Um, and I think the best argument for Barrett, uh, you, well, you made good arguments for Barrett. It's, it's a close case 
is that he's almost a full year younger than Poole, which at this juncture of a career like actually matters because we're talking about rest of your career. How much runway do you have to improving? We agree both of them need to get a lot better. I, I really put this on, and we I think we agree about this, perimeter shot creation, the ability to get shots for yourself and for teammates at high volume with good efficiency is the single most important skill in in like in a player that you can that you can have. And I think Poole is just has been and will be better at that than Barrett for the duration. So just like Poole has been bad this year. It's been really rough defensively. There's no I think he's one of the worst defensive guards in the league. But even with, you know, a really tough stretch of games, he's at 56.9% true shooting on 28.8% usage. Barrett 52.1 on 25.6. So Volume and efficiency pool has still been better offensively. Last year, the gap was enormous. Pool was just under 60% true shooting on more volume, actually slightly less volume. Barrett was barely over 51. Like these are below league average true shooting figures. So the plug and play argument to me is tricky with Barrett. He has the wing size. He has the, 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 the frame you want in like a scalable guy, but like he just doesn't score efficiently enough and make enough perimeter shots consistently for me to say, well, he's just going to, he's guaranteed to, you know, be a really quality piece or a starter going forward. Poole may not be that either, but I just think what we know about Poole is that he can get shots. Um, and for me, that just kind of like tips it to him. Um, but yeah, like you're going to have to scheme around him defensively, I think. Although it is easier to do that with like a small guard that's going to guard ones and twos than for Barrett. This is an issue. He's fine, I think, defensively with some inconsistency like he's going to guard a wing and he's going to be okay but offensively barrett's like a tough fit sometimes because if the ball's just not going to go in um you know i i'm not sure i'm not sure like how plug and play he actually is because he cramps a team spacing at this at this juncture as opposed to like being an asset in that regard I would disagree on crimping the spacing. The catch and shoot numbers aren't there for him. They're not there for Jordan Poole really this season either. But like we've seen those catch and shoot numbers tick up. And I think also there's a when you look at Barrett's role, like he is not going to actively shoot you out of games because there are different ways to use him within the offense where if you need to give Jordan Poole like that type of volume, he's going to continue to take his pull up jumpers are a problem. Like they're just not falling at even the clip they were last season when he was still kind of a below average pull-up jump shooter um, statistically anyway. And he's still going to take those shots because that's such a huge part of his value, even though I think the finishing and the passing is there too. So not again, not entirely sold on it, but I think at this point I'm maybe I'm just being too like colored by the most of the season that we've seen from Jordan Poole right now. Yeah. It's been rough. There's no doubt like defensively, especially again, I don't know how much you weigh it, but just, there are quarters at a time where he's just not in a stance and like, we'll just, just blow by after blow. But it's like, it's real tough. Don't know how much that matters, but just optically, man, like it's, it's, it's tough to handle. This one was inspired by something Jolt the Goat said in discord. So start bench cut Desmond Bain, Tyrese Halliburton, Darius Garland. So I'm starting Halliburton. I'm in the bag for Halliburton. I just love how he plays. You know, he's one of the best passers in the league, makes threes off the catch, off the dribble, super smart, makes guys better. That was the easy part for me. The next one is brutal. Um, I think I probably go bench Bain and cut Garland. And, and I think it's because Bain to me has been, it's hard because he's missed so much time this year. It feels like we sort of forgotten about him, but 
in terms of the beginning of a career, he's about as good a high volume three point shooter as like we've ever seen. And I think that's just a signature elite skill that coupled with what we saw earlier this year, improved like on ball stuff, improved playmaking. I think he's a much more valuable defender really than any of these guys. Um, Garland is Garland's the only guy of these three that have been, that's been an all-star. He's just, he feels a little too small for me sometimes. And that's like a nitpicky thing, but uh, really small guards just have it harder, especially if you're, if you're expected to make plays and this is going to, I won't say anything more about that, Um, but it's tight. Halliburton is the easy start for me, but the other two guys, it's tough. I, I think Bain though is the second best. I would probably Desmond Bain's defensive value makes that interesting too. And just, I feel like maybe we're too far removed from seeing how good he was as the secondary creator in Memphis this season. That's where I'm thinking, Oh, I thought it was Halliburton. You start Halliburton, you bench Darius Garland, and then you, you cut Desmond Bain. It's not as much of a certainty, I guess now the way that you frame, because I'm just thinking back to how good he was at the start of this year. And there's the, he's plug and play on offense, but might be able to give you the, the secondary minutes where Jaws not off the court. And he is, sort of the engine of your half-court offense. Yeah. I need to see more of that, though, before I'm going to put him ahead of Garland, who is just one of the best passers in the game when he gets in the in-between range. Like, yeah, the decision-making with the shots, or those might not be falling as high of a clip right now, but he is devastating when it comes to, you know, teeing up his his teammates and the the variability of his speed on, on ball when when he's attacking. And just the, the you know, the, the on-a-whim, stop-on-a-dime decision-making, whether it's shooting or passing, I value that, too. And I don't think Bain has that level of facilitation in him, at least not right now. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it, go I ahead. was going to see, Oh, do you, do you want to do one of them? No, no, you go. So I have this. I want to see how many players you can name out of um, this little, this little stat that I found. And we're going to try and do like stat of the weeks here, but I wanted to see uh, moving forward, something that we find interesting, either of us, I'll, uh, as we, since we're covering the NBA full time, there are exactly 100 players who have finished at least 20 ISO possessions this season. Who are, can, how many of the top five in points scored per possession can you name? Uh, DeMar DeRozan. No. Damn it. That was my surest one. I'll just, I'll go through uh, SGA. Oh, Luca. Luca's got to be one, right? No. Well, I'm running out of guys. DeRozan, SGA, Luca. Um, Used to be Harden. I'm not going to, I'm going to float Harden, but I'm not going to say Harden because you're going to tell me no. No. You have to cut me off at five wrong guesses. Harden. Okay. So Harden is six. Okay. Actually, sorry. Harden's tied for fifth. Okay. So no, I wasn't shut out. Good. Uh, who am I? I don't think you're going to get one of them. I thought you were going to get, but I don't think you're going to get the other ones. Isolation scores. I don't want to leave too much dead air here. So let's go with, I'll just say Booker. No, he's not on there either. So the top five, and it's six because they're tied in this order. Kyrie is one at 1.31 points per possession. Larry Markinen is two. <laughs> Eric Gordon is three. Donovan Mitchell is four. That's the one I thought you were going to get. And then D'Angelo Russell and James Harden are tied for fifth. Okay, I don't feel bad enough about not getting Markinen and Eric Gordon. I no, I, didn't, I said I didn't think you were going to get those. Kyrie, I was just like, both of us have had him sort of on the back burner all season, so I kind right. of understood why you wouldn't get him. I yeah. thought you might have gotten Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I guess I don't. I really don't think of him as an isolation guy. I don't know why. Um, he has the highest effective field goal percentage of anyone in this field on ISOs. Yeah, probably because a lot of his isolation attempts are threes. Because those off the dribble threes, he's been aside from Steph the best off the dribble three point shooter in the game. There you go. 
All right, I got one for you. So this is this is uh, there. Okay, yeah, maybe you have to pay attention to this. I don't know. There are 13 players this season that average at least 15 drives a game. Six of those guys shoot over 50 percent on their on that high volume of drives. There is one that has an assist percentage over 15 percent on drives. So you can make the case that this guy is not is of high volume drivers. The guy that is going to make shots, but really is going to spray it out like better than anybody for good shots. Who, who is this? Who am I describing? So the criteria is 13 drives, 15 drives, over 50% from the field on drives. And you, this guy has, is the only guy that has an assist percentage above 15% on those drives. Holy crap. Um, Luca is too much of an obvious answer, so it's not going to be him. And I don't think he passes that much on his drive, so it's not yep. Luca. It's not Shea because I don't think he would pass enough on those either. My God, I don't know if I'm going to. I can't. Is is it Jalen Brunson? No, it's uh. So Luca, you're you're kind of the amazing thing is is we've we've sorted it for fifty percent or better shooting on drives. Luca's at sixty three point one percent, which is like <laughs> absurd ten percent better than anybody else on this list other than Zion, who is just barely at 15% or 15 drives a game. Um, in terms of scoring on drives, Luca is just like, it's not close. He's by right. far the best, but for reference, his assist percentage on drives is 12.9. So he's below this cutoff. Um, I'll give you maybe one more and then I'll give it to you. Cause this is, this is hard. Uh, 15 drive. Is it Zion? No, 15 is too high for Zion. I'm taking that back. No, he's, he's, uh, he's right at 15. Oh, he is. Okay. Knows, but his assist percentage is super low on drives. It's only 5%. 5. Honestly, 5. I don't blame him. He's unstoppable yeah. once he gets right. Why would he pass? So it's Garland. Um, when I was <laughs> looking at <laughs> it's freaking Darius Garland. So I think this kind of this bolsters like both of our cases in a weird way because you made the point of like he's just such a good passer. But I think a lot of it is like his shooting volume is is like really low on drives. So what that says is he gets in there and he's not tall enough to finish or go through contact, but he kicks it out and his passes are always good. Um, he So Darius Garland getting in the lane is basically your best bet to get a good look that doesn't come from him. Because I think a lot of that's like, he's got lobs to Allen. He's got lobs to Mobley. He's got kickouts to Mitchell. Doesn't have kickouts to literally anyone else on the team because no one else <laughs> that plays can shoot. But I thought that was interesting. And it makes me look stupid for uh, cutting him in our but start. It makes me look stupid for not thinking that he would have been, I guess 15 drives seemed high for him this year. with right. Mitchell there. I don't think of him as a high volume drive guy. Uh, so this one is also tailor made for you. Who says no, the Warriors get Josh Richardson and Charlotte's 2023 first round pick. It's top 16 protected. Then it's lotto protected for two years and turns into two seconds. And so there's okay. a chance it's not a first round pick. Then right. the Spurs get James Wiseman. So th that's the key. The key to this is the pick, which I, so it comes down to, are you trading James Wiseman for Josh Richardson and a, almost definitely a couple seconds, unless things really turn around in Charlotte. Cause I'm just betting against Charlotte being better than the lottery. Um, so I think, I think the warriors say no, but it's like, what an indictment of Wiseman that you got to think really hard about is Richard is Josh Richardson in a couple seconds. For me, it's, it's, I'm not, and maybe this is wrong because Wiseman's value could drop further, but it feels like trading at the bottom of his value. It feels like 
while Richardson would probably be an upgrade, I think we joked about this off air as I was looking at this. Like if you give Moses Moody, Josh Richardson's minutes, the numbers aren't like all that different except for assist numbers. And I don't think Richardson will be asked to be a facilitator on Golden State. So like, I don't know that the upgrade is substantial enough while conceding that the Warriors, like they need at least another guy uh, to be in the rotation. So I think the Warriors say no, but man, it sucks that like, we really actually have to think about that. Are they more likely to say yes if it's Jakob Pertle? Well, maybe because like, I don't think Wiseman's going to play and Pertle would play. And that way you're not mm-hmm. just Anthony Lamb, I think is not someone you're going to give rotation minutes to for the full season. So yeah, I think Pertle might actually fill a bigger need that, that, that that's likelier. I would say, yeah, because you might keep Pertle. I don't think Richardson would be someone you'd ever keep. See, and I look at it a different way. It's like, I guess if you're going to keep Draymond and Looney and you want Kaminga, like how much of a role is Pertle going to play for you? He's not going to close for this team. And I think you would argue Josh Richardson wouldn't either, but I would also think doesn't Josh Richardson have the clear path to closing then? I don't think he would close, but yeah, I I just don't know. I think I'm not saying he would, but who would be more likely to in any given game? Would it be Pertle? Are you going to close with Pertle and Dre? Or are you going to close with Josh Richardson and there's a lineup with Draymond at the five? Maybe yeah, you know, you're it. probably right. You're I don't well, I'd, I'd say neither of them is very likely to close, but yeah, Pirtle, like because Looney Looney closed finals games, you know, like in certain situations. I don't think Pirtle does the things that Looney does. Um, if you're not gonna go Draymond at the five. That so that's t- I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I is think there, who's the worst player you would cha- trade James Wiseman for right now? Oh god, I, I have no idea who's even available. Like well, give me, you got to give me a name or two. Like, you, so the deals have been floating around there. Like, would you trade him for Kelly Olinick? Would you prefer Jay Rich or Kelly Olinick? Well, yeah, I think you run in, well, maybe you don't run into the same problem because his shooting could actually put him out there at the end of games with Draymond because Draymond's going to be on the floor at the end of games. I think you have Steph, Wiggins, and Draymond are your three spots locked up. And I've kind of grandfathered Clay into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think Olenek is better is a better option than Pirtle or Richardson. Wow. Um, I just don't think the Jazz, I guess, would give you a first-round pick. Maybe they would. Yeah, but... the pick is the thing. Like, I, I, you know, how bad is it that... I thought about the Bulls pick in 2025, but, like, that thing is top 10, then top 8, then, like, the Spurs aren't trading that because the Bulls no, are going to no. That's the thing. I mean, it's look, if this is what's out there, then maybe I'm wrong that this is, that, like, well, how much worse? how much worse could these offers get? Like for Wiseman, I because I can stay hung up on his value has to improve. I just because it's so low. I just I don't know that. I guess I was looking at it from if you get his salary off the books next season, you save like a hundred million dollars total because of taxes, which is not maybe they don't care. But if he's not really even playing for you, uh, and who is so this is better. What is the the player? And it's a non-star. Like, what is the player? And it's not specific to Wiseman. Like, what is the biggest need for you for the Warriors right now? It's We talk about their bench depth all the time, but, like, what specifically archetype or, you know, specific type of value you're looking for? Uh, I think I may be just too anchored to what worked last year, but speaking specifically about, like, a Gary Payton II, but I think someone like Caruso, Alex Caruso, is, like, the type of guy and DiVincenzo's been a lot better lately because um, the ball's going in and that just changes everything for him. Um, but someone that you can put in the game to just really supercharge it and muck it up and create turnovers and make decent decisions with the ball. Like that's that's really, I think, one of the main things they're missing. Um, so if it's like if if I if you could if the Warriors could get Caruso in a pick for Wiseman, I think I'd probably do that. 
But uh, uh, I would think that the Warriors might be the one sending out the pick in that equation. Wiseman's going to turn it around, man. He's going to learn how to catch a basketball eventually, and everything will be fine. Um, yeah, that that'd be the type I, I think that the type of player that they need. Not that there's all that many of those guys floating around. Did you want to propose this? Who says no? Just because I was ready to bounce it, and I'll I'll state that I was the one that proposed in the first place. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. So who says no? With the Nuggets getting Davion Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes. And the Kings getting Michael Porter Jr., Christian Brown, and Zeke Naji. I think the Kings say no, just because it Michael Porter Jr.'s health is just so up in the air all the time. And I do think if you just surround them with more shooting, that's fine. Harrison Barnes, when he's healthy, should be more is going to be more pivotal to the defense. But I also think Michael Porter Jr. has more of an ability to be a playmaker on defense as a helper. And I wonder if that would factor into the equation. And part of me was like. Well, Harrison Barnes is going to be a free agent this summer. Are they going to keep him? But he's going to make less than Michael Porter Jr. I know Michael Porter Jr. is younger, but would you rather have Harrison Barnes for the next three years or Michael Porter Jr. for the next three years? I don't think that's an easy answer. I don't, and I had some, I can't remember, I think it was Betsy on Twitter was disagreeing with me in my value of Davion Mitchell. I think that's fair. I just don't trust him on offense. I think that defenses play off him so much that, he, yeah, he's made progress as a passer maintaining his dribble, but if you start to, involve him as the primary ball handler and more important lineups. I think you'll see him get flustered. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I like, they do need like sort of backup fives in Sacramento and it's clearly not going to be Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes would be great in Denver, uh, an upgrade over Deandre Jordan helps their bench. And do you like Christian Brown? Like he's shown some real flashes at both ends this year for Denver. I think you would have to value. You would have to like the idea of what Michael Porter jr. Can become if you're Sacramento, it's just such as, it's a huge commitment. And so I think the Kings probably pretty quickly hang up, but I was trying to find Denver a point of attack defender. I also don't know why either of these two teams like involved in the same playoff race would ever do business. <laughs> and I also sort of at a loss for like, are we really still trying to find more defense for Denver? Like it's right. just, they have lineups where they can roll out three really good defenders at once. And that's just apparently that lineup is fine, but what it does to the rest of their depth just isn't enough. Yeah. So for me, I actually think the Nuggets say no. And I feel oh. like one of the last MPJ holdouts. And a lot of it is just to go back to the Wiseman stuff. Like you'd be trading him at like a pretty low point in his value. And maybe that's where it is now. Cause this heel thing isn't going away. You've got all the back surgeries, all this other stuff. I still think Porter jr. Just has a singular elite skill. He's just one of the best shooters, for, especially from deep that has ever existed. It did, has done it for a relatively healthy season at like 44%, almost 45%, just incredible shooter. I don't think Mitchell is someone that should play rotation minutes on like a, a high end playoff team, just because I don't know where his offensive value is. And he's a kind of, he's a great on ball defender. His size makes him not so great off it. It's just, I think the other thing is, I think Holmes is a piece that like is a buy low in contrast to, to Porter jr. That could help, but I'm not sure Barnes would improve Denver's defense. If that's the point, so much over Porter Jr. because of some of the off-ball help stuff Porter Jr. Oh, can do. I don't think he would. I just thought plug and play. His money comes off the books, and it's, they could play the same position. Basically, you don't the want money, to play the, the money and the health are super yeah. compelling, super compelling. Because just to get off that contract that is is just going to pay Porter Jr. like a All NBA player for half a decade is that's a priority. I just think the upside, the the version of the Nuggets that is the best of these two possibilities. Uh, includes Porter Jr. just making tons of shots. I don't know how likely that is. It's going to be really expensive. Uh, also, I really like Brown. I think I think Christian Brown is is a rotation player. I, I think maybe not this year, but 
but Zach Lowe it. said like it was just an offhanded comment. It was in a preseason thing where he said Christian Brown is ready, and I was like, "What?" And I asked Adam Mades from DMVR about it, and he didn't really like. And then, oh, yeah, he might be. Like, is that more of a symptom of the state of Denver's like bench still? But he's impressed. Had moments at both ends of the floor, and so if you, I still think the it's interesting that you think the Nuggets would say no, but if you if you view MPJ through his peak lens, I I would understand why you'd still want to hold out hope. That's all it is. That's all it is. Is like if you just get these guys, you know, if all these guys play the best they realistically could, then Porter Jr. is just in a different, on a different level than all these guys. I think just because of the shooting skill, it's just a singular skill. I have another who says no for you. Let's hit it. The Lakers receive Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., Chris Boucher. The Raptors get Russ, Juan Toscano Anderson, Max Christie swaps in 26 and 28 and then the Lakers 27 and 29 first round picks. So I think the Lakers say no. And it's mainly because, well, there's a couple reasons. One is they didn't seem keen to do two picks uh, and Russ for miles Turner and buddy healed. Um, it seems like probably maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong. It felt to me like that if Indiana was going to, it was ready to do it. The Lakers like kind of were in charge of whether that was going to happen or not. Um, this feels like a worse deal for the Lakers because they're giving up those swaps. And the other thing is, and with AD getting hurt, I think that should probably push them farther away from, from doing a win now move. The other thing that's kind of interesting is you got player options for Gary Trent Jr. And Fred Van Vliet. I don't know how likely it is. Gary Trent Jr.'s clutch family. So he's coming back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. That that's a factor because this is going to eat into the cap space. If either of them, picks up where they, they they opt out and and get new deals. Do the Lakers have bigger aspirations than than a couple of, of you know, starting caliber backcourt guys? Although, granted, like, neither of them has played very well this year. Van Fleet just continues to be under 40% from the field. That seems like a problem. Um, I just feel like this is not as good of a deal as the Pacers deal, and the Lakers' circumstances have changed such that uh, they're less likely to do something like this now. So I think they'd probably say no. I thought the Raptors might say no, but I'm wondering if I was too aggressive on this. Like, is there a deal here? Like, let's throw that. Let's say Anthony Davis is back, and like yeah. the Lakers are still gunning for it at the moment, which is not an impo- like implausible. What would you give up for this package coming? But because, like, I think with the push and pull of this, that's really difficult. Is the Lakers are giving up a lot, but when your first real asset is not conveying until 2027 because 2026 is a swap like mm-hmm. is it would one swap into like would the two first even be enough because you couldn't get i would just i think the the idea of fred van fleet is probably better than a miles turner just for a shot creation and the defense right. he's supposed to provide but russ has also become pretty important to the lakers shot creation off the bench gary Trent jr though is also kind of yeah he's erratic but he's kind of a two-way wing and so that's something the lakers could use and also chris boucher would be a perfect fit for their front not hitting his threes this year but there are things that, and he's like been kind of slower defensively, it feels like. So maybe you value your flexibility this summer. But my thing would be you have 30 plus million in cap space this summer. Are you turning that into a collection of players who are better than Boucher, Gary Trent Jr., and uh, Fred Van Fleet? Now, the, you could just say, well, Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Fleet are going to be free agents. Could they sign Van Vliet or, or GTJ outright? They might be able to, but. I think if you took the swaps out, I don't know why I'm putting value on the swaps, but if you just make the the draft compensation less onerous going out from the Lakers, I think this stacks up pretty well against the that hypothetical Pacers uh, trade, mainly because like, you know, 
I think Turner is a way better player than Chris Boucher, but in terms of like the roles that they would play for this Lakers team, I think Boucher could give you 75%, 80% of what Turner would with, you know, the assuredness of, of he's not going to leave in free agency. Cause again, Turner's a free agent too. Um, I think, unless I have that wrong. Um, yes, he's he inspiring. Um, and Van Vliet and Trent jr. I think are, you know, probably both just better two way players than, than buddy healed. So I think there's something there. I just think the Lakers one probably believe that there's a superstar that they're going to sign or get somehow and, or, are pushed farther away from swinging a big deal like this because Davis's foot injury is, you know, maybe just, it's just that ends the season potentially for them, not necessarily for Davis, but missing enough time. They're just not even going to be a play in team. All fair. I don't, I, I thought about, could they do like the, the hedge move of it's none and Beverly for buddy healed just to open up the shooting. And maybe you're including a second there, but you're actually helping Indiana probably getting out of buddy healed deal. And yes, that eats into your cap space, but Buddy Heald on an expiring contract might be able to be flipped over the summer. So that's kind of the trade that I've been like, well, it'd be like the Lakers are kind of making a win now move, but not really. Yeah, yeah, trying to split split it. Um, so we got a couple more uh, quick ones here. I'll throw you the first one. Playoffs, play-in, or lottery? And your options are Lakers, Warriors, Timberwolves. I'm going to go lottery for the Lakers. Playing for the Warriors, playoffs for the Timberwolves. The Steph injury is tough to, I think the Lakers might be better set up. To, maybe this is wrong, but there's a chance that the Lakers have an easier time. Let's say they're both out a month. There's a chance the Lakers have an easier time of nav just because they have LeBron and the Warriors don't even have a singular force to put on ball like him offensively. And so I'm very worried about Golden State's offense. I think the was the light years podcast talking about how Jordan Poole actually becomes more valuable when not just in the starting lineup, but now you can plan your entire existence around, well, we don't have Steph. It's not just trying to buy a few minutes. I just can't try to extrapolate minutes without Steph seems more difficult to me in theory. Um, so I thought about putting the Warriors lottery. I still just trust the Timberwolves when they get healthy. Uh, right now they're winning without Gobert and Cat. So maybe that's the secret sauce. Chris Finch is mentioning parking was the word he used. Cat in the corner more when he comes back. That'll be in adventure. I don't trust any of these teams though, but I'll go, I'll go playing I'll, uh, lottery Lakers, even though they actually won't be in lottery because the Pelicans will take their pick lottery Lakers playing warriors playoffs, Timberwolves. Yeah. You always want to park your max uh, salaried franchise cornerstone in the corner. It's always a good sign. Things have gone great from a team building perspective. Um, I'm a, the Lakers are my lottery team. Um, I'm going to flip the Warriors and Timberwolves. I think playoffs Warriors play in Timberwolves. I think some of it is there are so many guys on the Warriors and some of this applies to the Timberwolves that have played like about as unevenly or poorly as you could expect. I think they will. I think pool is going to be a lot better um, now that it's just his ball. And and I think it's, it's clear. He's just comfortable doing that. And I think some of the young guys could still contribute. Kaminga has come on. I still think Moody should get in there every once in a while. I think Ty Jerome and Jermichael Green should just lose their rotation spots and they should be backfilled with other guys. Um, It's tight though. It's tight between the Warriors and Timberwolves. I just, even without Steph, I think the Warriors can hang on and like break even for a while in spite of evidence that says that they just never do that without Steph. Um, And the Timberwolves that it's there, it's been so bad for, for a few stretches that I just, they have, in addition to like the the health stuff with Cat, 
the combustibility concerns that I don't really feel like the Warriors have. Um, so that's the close one, though. I, I like that one. Uh, this one is your turn. So playoffs play in lottery. Pacers, Raptors, Bulls. Ugh. All right. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but I think that's how this is going to go. Um, I think the Bulls are the lottery team. Um, I think the Raptors are the play-in team, and I think the Pacers are the playoff team. Um, all of all three of these teams have incentive and or should be planning to make future-focused trades, um, but the vibes are so bad with the Bulls and Raptors that I just like – it's almost Pacers by default – even though the Pacers have been basically like a kind of fun to watch average team, the bulls just feel like they can't do anything right. And the Raptors, uh, every other article you read is just how it's just so dispiriting about how bad the half court offense is, how bad the shot creation is the just, they can't it's so the arrows are really pointing down for those two. And the Pacers kind of feel like a fun, like they're decent still. So uh, they're going to be my playoff team. I'm going Bulls lottery, Pacers play in Raptors playoffs. I think they figure it out or they make not the all in trade, but make a trade that improves the state of their roster, whether it's going after like an Eric Gordon or somebody just to throw a name out there. Or maybe they get a big, I don't know. like, maybe it's, do they just take a flyer on Rashawn Holmes, depending on what the cost is. And that's someone who might be able to help them. So yeah, I don't feel, I almost include the magic in this, by the way, because all they do is win apparently, except for Monday night, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. This was fun. I enjoyed these sort of snackable segments. Do you want to take us out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, everybody, please uh, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, like and subscribe on YouTube. Tell a friend. Uh, make sure you're spreading the word. Make sure you're getting into our Discord. Uh, follow us on socials. Promote us on socials. Uh, all the information is there on the uh, YouTube page if you're watching it. Uh, and thank you again for listening. And as always, we have to apologize to Jared Allen and shout out the one and only Frank Nellikin. <laughs>